everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we are going to be talking with the Gauchos Underground Scholars Program, and we have the program coordinator, Melissa Ortiz, and we have Juan Braun Budel, who is a student uh, in the program. So welcome to our show. Thank, thank you. you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for having us here. Thank you. Yeah, so um, can you tell us what the Gauchos Underground Scholars Program is? Yeah, um, you know, the Gauchos Underground Scholars is a... Uh, uh, Basically, the program here at UC Santa Barbara is an organization that basically provides critical guidance and support to formerly incarcerated and system impacted students here at UCSB. Um, we work with college students inside and outside uh, to basically outside of prison and just to basically build a pathway and a bridge, uh, making it a possible safe transition from prison to the university and just getting them adjusted to the whole academia and the whole rigorous aspect of, of how, what it is to, you know, be in the UC system or Cal State and stuff like that. So, and then we do this through our four pillars of recruitment, retention, advocacy, and wellness. And basically through those four pillars, we created this, uh, this pipeline from prison to the university. So we actually, we are a statewide program. So we're across all UC campuses. Um, and this is giving, like Juan said, giving um, a population that normally wouldn't think about getting an education the opportunity to actually have access to getting a higher education. Um, I know myself have, you know, experienced some stuff in my past that would definitely um, turn me in the opposite direction from ever thinking about getting um, an education and through programs like the Underground Scholars, um, it makes it possible for us to actually have that chance to, to change our lives, get an education, um, and continue to use our experience to continue to help other people in the same position. So, you know, kind of run us through what, what kind of the big uh, points about the program. How does it help um, system impacted students and what kind of support does it provide them? 
I think that I can speak from my own experience and, and say that for me, what I have experienced within Underground Scholars is just a safe place, a community where I can um, collaborate with people who are just like me coming into the UC system. Um, I felt a lot of imposter syndrome. I didn't, I felt like I didn't belong here. I remember my first, my first quarter at UCSB, um, I sat in on, on a class and I remember just listening to the other students talking and I immediately froze and was like, I don't belong here. This isn't, what am I doing? This was a mistake. These, these students are using words I've never even heard of before. Um, I could never be on this level. Um, and I think knowing that I had the support from a community of students that were just like me, who came from a similar background, who were formerly incarcerated, system impacted, you know, had experienced a lot of the struggles that I had experienced, made me feel a lot more at ease being in an environment like a UC campus, which can be intimidating for somebody who's not system impacted or formerly incarcerated, um, but especially for, for people in our population, it just, it kind of helped me ease into it. And I think that that's very important. Not only that, um, we have access to resources um, at different campuses and we're able to be in part of something that's so much bigger to us and allow us to feel like we have a purpose in um, <clears throat> bringing more students who you know, are formerly incarcerated and like I said, wouldn't feel like they had this opportunity um, normally. I feel like you both probably have an amazing story to to share about how you got to this point. Uh, I don't know if you want to do that or not, but uh, I will give you the opportunity if you do. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can start. Um, I am born and raised here in Santa Barbara. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, there was a lot of. Uh, a lot of trauma in my childhood. Um, don't need to go into those details, uh, but it did lead me down a pretty dark path. Um, I started using drugs at the age of 15 years old, um, getting kicked out of you know school and high school, and from there, kind of getting introduced to the justice system as a juvenile. You know, going in and out of juvenile hall and and kind of learning what that whole system was like. And, and I often will say that for a majority of my teen years and even leading into adulthood, I didn't really think that I was, that I had a purpose. I, I thought that my purpose was just what I was doing, using drugs, selling drugs, um, living on the streets, in and out of juvenile hall, I didn't know that there was another life outside of that. That was what I was so used to. That was what I was comfortable with. I think comfort is the big word there um, because a lot of times, um, you know, stepping outside of your comfort zone is the worst part, right? So um, once I went into adulthood and started, you know, going into actual county jail and and seeing, oh, okay, now things are really changing. Now, now things are getting weird. Um, now, now I'm seeing a different side of it where I wasn't just, um, you know, juvenile stuff. I was now looking at, you know, seven years of prison time for my crimes that I was doing, 
using drugs and that that's a long time, you know, and um, I was given the opportunity uh, while I was in jail to either do my time, go to prison, or um, I could, I would have one last shot to um, change my life. And that was to go to a year long residential treatment program here in town. Um, So obviously I decided to go to that treatment program went to the Santa Barbara Rescue Mission. And um, for that year, I really had the opportunity to focus on myself and think about what I wanted to do. It was a pretty intense program. Um, And I knew that at the end of that program, I had to really focus and decide on what I wanted to do. Um, Did I want to completely step out of my comfort zone and change my life? Or did I want to just trickle back down to the life that I was so used to? Um, I knew that I had to make a change. Um, Being so heavily addicted to drugs for so long had really done a number on me, taken a toll. And I was, I think the best word that I could use to describe my mindset at that time was exhaustion. I was completely exhausted with myself, with my lifestyle, with, uh, with basically everything. So I had to really decide like what I wanted to do. And I knew that with my record, getting a job, let alone a job that was going to help support me living in a place like Santa Barbara, um, there was no way that I was going to be able to get a job that was going to support those needs. Um, if I didn't have a degree because I had a record, you know? Um, so I, yeah, I decided to start at Santa Barbara city college. And, um, once I started there to be perfectly honest, I did not have any intention of going any further than just getting my AA, um, and trying to figure it out from there. Um, but once my time at Santa Barbara City College was coming to an end and I had to figure out again, once again, what I wanted to do. Um, I got presented the opportunity to apply to four different universities for free through a program that they had at at the City College. And so I thought, okay, well, why not? I mean, they're free, I don't have to pay. So let me just just see how this goes. Um, I ended up applying to four different universities Um, and to my complete and utter utter shock, and I'm still, I still can't believe it to this day. There's a lot that I can't believe about what my life is today. Um, but I got accepted to three of the four universities that I had applied to. And, um, I had, I had choices. I, I had never had choices like that before. Like these are positive choices. Like I can decide out of three different great universities. I think it was UC San Diego, UC Santa Barbara, and UC Davis, um, where I wanted to go. And since I'm from Santa Barbara, my family's here. And uh, I had actually come and done a tour um, on the campus at UCSB. And that's where I actually got introduced to Underground Scholars and the founder for Gaucho Underground Scholars was Ryan Rising. And I heard him talk about it and I was like, wow, I had no idea that there was a program for formerly incarcerated 
individuals like myself that wanted to pursue their higher education, pursue their, you know, their goals and, and um, get a degree. And so I chose Santa Barbara. It was the obvious choice. There was a lot of resources here, housing and underground scholars being one of them. Um, I decided to uh, accept the offer to UCSB. And um, yeah, I came in as a comm major and took one sociology class and was like, oh, okay, that's what I need to be doing. I need sociology is where I belong. And um, yeah, I completed my degree. I graduated last year with my uh, bachelor's in sociology. And I actually will be starting now in January, I'll be starting in Pepperdine uh, for their master's program for leadership and higher education and um, was offered the opportunity to actually now work what I'm doing now work as the coordinator for underground scholars as our founder has moved on to grad school and I'm able to kind of carry on the work that he has started and hopefully continue to expand our program um, here at UCSB. And I'll get back to that because I think that's an interesting uh, question, but I do want to hear Juan's story if he doesn't mind. Yeah, um, <clears throat> um, quite similar aspects to itself, but um, my journey was a little different. Um, I guess I would say just, uh, I guess I will start off by just how I got in contact with just the justice system at first. Um, I was part of the, the Department of Children and Family Services. I saw I got kind of in contact with the, the justice system. I was arrested just right off the beginning from just being taken away from my parents. And then that kind of led on to other things where I got kind of a couple charges on just assault and battery, um, just uh, vandalism and other stuff like that. And um, just, you know, possession of intent to sell. And then just, it just kept adding up one thing after another. And um, it was just, just going in and out of jail. Um, and then at that point, there were certain things in my life that just were abruptly happening in a quick moment and stuff like that. And um, I just realized something clicked into me that I just, I got tired of just looking over my back, risking my life every second, just risking my freedom. And I wanted something more out of life. Um, I just, I didn't know what it was or anything like that. And I just thought I was like, maybe, you know, I'll, I'll try to get a job. And I tried that for a couple of years and I, I just, I could not sustain a job. I just, the longest job I held was a couple months, but that was cause you know, that was even lucky even at that point. But I just, I had it, I found it very difficult on having to be able to clock in and clock out at any time. So with that, I just feel like um, I, I just try to run my own schedule. I was so used to just running my own schedule at that time. And, so it was really difficult to really sustain a job. And um, I was met with an ultimatum at that point. And it was, I couldn't keep a job. They told me either get a job or go to school. And I had just gotten fired from my last job. And I just couldn't keep a job and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? Might as well just see what school has for me. And um, I didn't really think much of it. I ended up going to Glendale Community College, but that bus route was about, two and a half hours long, just there one way. So I was coming back and forth for about four hours or so, sometimes five hours. And it was just, 
taking too much time. I'm like, you know, this is school is not for me. It's taking me forever just to even get to campus. And next thing you know, I saw a flyer that um, a school down the street was actually accepting applications. So I ended up applying to Los Angeles Valley College. I made a quick transfer and I was there for about three and a half years, um, almost four years because I didn't know what I was doing. I was just trying to take classes because I was like, hey, I'm taking a class just so I can meet the requirements, so I can get food stamps, so I can get, have a, a, a place to stay. And I was just trying to meet those government requirements so I could get you know, assistance. And so I didn't really think much of it until you know, my last year and a half in CC in community college that basically I started accepting help and some of the mentors started coming into me and started just, uh, just basically taking me under the wing, just uh, telling me, you know, how to do, you know, what was I thinking of in the next future? And I was just like, Melissa was stating, like, I was just trying to get my AA and just get out of there. I was just trying, I'm just, I'm going to get my AA, I'm done. And I was just trying to do that as fast as possible. And um, I have visited multiple campuses. I visited like all the, all the UCs, all the Cal States down South. I visited some up North and it just, it, it wasn't for me. I'm like, this is, you know, higher education is not for me. I'm like, I'm, I'm barely learning how to finish writing a paragraph. I have to like really have to learn how to punctuate correctly. So it was taking me quite a while to even get those, aesthetic, you know, those logistics correctly, that it was already, everything was too much to the point that when it was application time, everybody was getting their acceptance letters. And I'm right there sitting, I'm like, okay, cool, where's my acceptance letters? And I had to, I literally started making up, you know, people started uh, ask, asking me, like, where did I get accepted that I was making up schools? I'm like, yeah, I got accepted here because I didn't know what they were talking about acceptance letters. So I went to go talk, my, talk to my mentor. I'm like, hey, you know, what is this about acceptance letters? And they're like, did you apply? I'm like, I don't know what this application was. Like, I was naive about all that stuff that I didn't know that I had to apply to the UCs or Cal States. So luckily I was missing some courses that had allowed me to kind of go an extra year and basically just kind of go take that year and so with them. That's where really I took one last final trip to UCSB. And the moment I just stepped off from that bus, a charter bus, and I stepped foot on campus and I just looked at it, I just, I, I got a sense of chills. And I don't know what it was. And I just looked at my mentor, I'm like, I haven't even seen the rest of the campus, but something about this campus is calling me here. Like, I just felt that it was my, like, I had to be here for some reason. I, I didn't know what my purpose was or what my calling was until I got here. And obviously, after a few years or so that I've been here, it's been a prep to me of what was my reason here. But after, you know, going through those, that tour, so with that, just learning the rich history of, of Cesar Chavez, Dolores Huerta, and how they walked these halls and the, you know, the Black Panthers taking over North Hall, everything, just the activism, the richness activism of this campus, like, of the BIPOC individuals and BIPOC population, like, I was like, this is the campus for me, and that right away, I tagged the campus, and I didn't know what I was doing, but little by little, I, you know, I applied to 13 universities, I got accepted to 10 of them, and I already knew UCSB was going to be my, my, my choice, but something, you know, I, I, you know, I waited to the, like the last minute. And then right before I even accepted it, it was like 10 minutes prior to that deadline of accepting either, you know, the university that you were going to go and, and attend. And I just ended up switching my major to Chicano studies. I was a sociology major. I did transfer with an AAT in sociology. 
but I just, you know, made a, tra made a transition to Chicano studies and a minor in applied psychology. And since then, um, like Melissa was stating, like, um, you know, Flacco and Ryan Rising, he was already here kind of establishing this program, trying to get it going and stuff like that. And um, I just got in contact with him. I got in contact with Gilbert Murillo, and they were the ones really, really trying to push it and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I just tagged along. I just, you know, rolled the way with them and stuff like that. And uh, luckily, you know, last year, basically, we were finally ex established as a full program on July 1st, 2022. So that was really, you know, been going on. But since I've been here, I've, I've done that. Uh, I've been part of the tryout for Honor Society, which is a, a first-gen Honor Society that I was part of co-founding as well, of establishing her on campus. Um, I, I also helped uh, launch a Propel, basically a mentorship program for freshmen that is called Propel. Is promoting equity and learning for individuals. And so it's been apparent of what my purpose has been since I've got here. So being, me being able to kind of co-found a program, co-found a whole honor society and co-found a, a mentorship program here on campus that's been able to, all of them being able to be sustained. So that it's been, you know, that was my purpose and I didn't know what my purpose was until I got here. But yeah, that's my, my little story how I got here. Well, thanks. Um, so, Melissa, are you able to uh, share a little bit about how Flacco went about uh, creating uh, the program and, um, you know, kind of his role in everything? Yeah, I actually think that that would be a great question for Juan, because Juan actually started off with Ryan um, from the beginning. And I think he can um, give a little bit more detail on how on how that came about and how they started that process because they have really set out to, to build a beautiful program here at um, UCSB. Yeah, um, like I, I was saying, you know, it was it was him, it was Ryan Rising Flacco uh, and, and Gilbert Murillo that were first here. Um, they were undergrads and luckily they have moved on to pursue higher education in the PhD programs and um, it, it was it was it was tough um that you know that it, it has been slow but the reason has been slow that it's been going in the right way in the right direction you know and that's how we know the program being going slow but you know he's he act you know he his role was more of that that's like like melissa's role is now it's just that that coordinator position that director position and it was just spearheading everything was just spearheading but just student, just student less, you know, and um, and it, it was, you know, meeting with vice chancellors, meeting with uh, the assistant vice chancellors, meeting with certain individuals and meeting the spaces to just advocate that, you know, this program is needed and this program is, is vital for this uh, certain population to be, um, be able to be, get their needs met. And um, it, it took some time. Uh, you know, it takes a, a lot of meetings, a lot of battles, a lot of, you know, sweat and tears, stuff like that. And, um, but it took a lot of meetings, a, a lots and lots of meetings, just sitting down, advocating, negotiating with these individuals to really just ensure them that it's just not us, but it's for future generations, for, for many individuals that are coming behind us that need these vital resources, that need these, uh, the basic needs met. So they can be able to be just students and be able to be here for the academia instead of having to work two or three jobs to pay for the rent 
while there's, you know, their, their GPA or the academia is plummeting, so then that's what we're trying to avoid, so then this is what, you know, this program is here for to ensure that their basic needs are met, so they're able to kind of focus more on the academia, so then, and, and Ryan did a great job the way he kind of um, just copied and pasted everything from Berkeley, everything, you know, this chapter is, is, a, is a chapter, um, like Melissa was stating, um, where it's a UC-wide uh, program and it established at UC Berkeley. So everything will just cop somewhat of a copy and paste and here and there we'll just kind of just twist it and intertwine it to, to be more of the UC Santa Barbara population. And it, it was just more of just the advocating. It was just a lot of advocating, meeting with funders and ensuring, uh, ensuring just this, the vice chancellor and the chancellor is basically that this program is needed on campus. And um, it, it took a lot of just more of using the, their language with them to, so they can be able to kind of understand of the need for this program. And like I said, uh, Flacco did a phenomenal job working with uh, many close individuals, UC, UCI wide, statewide, to basically ensure that um, we were able to kind of just copy and paste the program and, and, and basically just bring it over here to, to UCSB. Seems like both of you were motivated to go back to school because you were having difficulty finding a stable employment after being incarcerated. And, and, and you know, it, it, it just seems like we've put up so many barriers. We want people that were incarcerated to get their lives back together, but then we make it impossible for them to do so. Uh, you know, how has education really helped change the game for you? I mean, I, that's absolutely true. I think that there's so many expectations for people that have been in the system that, um, you know, we can just come out and, change our lives and and obviously we can but the resources are so limited so it's like what are we how are we supposed to navigate through something that we've never navigated through before and that is you know the life of not being in jail or doing drugs and doing all the things that you know we're looked down on um i would say for me getting an education meant that I would have a degree. It's this piece of paper that shows that I worked hard for where, for where I am today. And um, there was, in my life, there's been so much that has been stripped away from me. There's been my dignity, my pride, my freedom, um, my choices. And whether or not those were self-inflicted, those were still stripped away from me. And I knew that getting an education meant that that was something that would never be able to be taken from me because this is something that I worked for and I worked my butt off for this, you know, and, and it was mine and it's forever going to be mine, something that I'm going to be proud of and something that I can take with me so many places, you know, it opens, you know, the fact of the matter is, is having an education and having that degree opens so many more doors, um, so it was, it was kind of like a, 
it was like an absolute thing. Like I had to get my education. Like there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like if I wanted to really change my life around and, and, um, and do something different with myself, I had to get an education. Like there was no, there was no other way. And other, you know, that might not be the case for, for other people, you know, everybody has their own experiences, but in, in my case and many others that I've seen, um, the best route to go was to get an education because we need to, in order to change the system and to change these things and, and to allow more resources so people can change their lives, we have to have a voice. And I feel like our voices isn't as loud if we don't have the education behind it. I was just, I was tired of being, you know, arrested, you know, being harassed here and there. And I always knew what I wanted to do so with that and, and helping youth because helping youth and working with youth, that's what I emphasize in. And it just, I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know how to achieve that. I didn't know how to do that due to what you, you know, you mentioned earlier, it's that double whammy, you know, we go to, you know, we get incarcerated, go to jail and we do our time, but we come out, society still holds us against that, of what we did and the punishment. And it just, you know, it's hard to, like you mentioned, hard to get, you know, get a job or even sustain that job due to not knowing how to navigate those spaces. So it becomes a, another challenge is to even know how to survive in the streets of the knowing how to reacclimate into the, just the, you know, that civilian life. And, um, and without those mentorship, without that assistance, that just becomes nearly impossible to just be, uh, you know, not falling back and just, you know, it just be, you become another ratio in that recidivism way where you just fall back into that, those habits that you know how to do and just survive. So I knew that, you know, I didn't want to keep doing that. And the only choice people could tell me that I kept understanding was that hate education was going to be the key to life. And I just didn't understand what that meant. And like when Melissa was saying, it's just, it has to be the right time for the right person, for them to kind of understand and see and basically have their minds awoken and basically just realize, you know, what they want in life. You know, it took me almost 26, almost 25 years to realize that the way I was living wasn't the way I wanted to live the rest of my life, that I wanted something better out of life, that I wanted to not be looking over my shoulder, like, okay, like, you know, I'm risking my life. I'm risking my freedom because I make. I'm trying to make another dollar to to get, go get a bite to eat. And I knew that I wanted to survive in the right way and be a, a product, productive member of society, even though all these oppressions are against me. That I had to kind of you know somehow go through that. And like I said, it has to be the right time, you know, because money made I I hated school. I, I was never good at school and stuff like that. And I barely got through school, and it was only due to sports. So sports saved my life, and that's what allowed me to graduate. If not, if, if it wasn't for sports, I would have never graduated high school. But um, even you know, saying that, it just I knew that once that I saw those signs of you know you know Glendale Community College, Los Angeles Valley College, I knew that, and having that ultimatum where my life was either go to school or, you know, find another job. It just had to be the right time. And that was the right time for me that I had just gotten out of, you know, I had just gotten released with that for something petty crimes about that. Cause I was just, you know, uh, it was some past tickets or something like that. And so at that point I was like, you know, this is what I don't want to do. And 
uh, I started realizing that once I started going to school, that I wasn't getting into trouble. That I started, you know, I started doing, not that I wasn't getting into trouble, that I started doing better, but I was like, I was going in the right direction, you know? And I started learning schools that, you know, were, were vital and just in this professionalism way to, you know, being able to uh, do you know, a good interview or marketing and stuff like that. And I started learning all these skills that I needed just the resource being able to be available to me. And once I saw those resources and I gained those resources, it opened my eyes that I knew I wanted to continue edu higher education. And little by little, at first, when I first started going there, I didn't know I was, I was just trying to get my A and be done. But like, like I said earlier, but, you know, two years into that, I started realizing that I found my personal purpose and what I wanted to do, you know, and, and help youth and, and just being that credible messenger and being able to tell my narrative, then I've been there, I've done that. I've been to the end of the road. Here's my narrative. You know, I'm here to teach anybody what's right and wrong because obviously everybody knows what's, you know, most people know what's right and wrong. But at the same time, I just want to know people don't like, yeah, I've been there, I've done that. You know, maybe you want to, you know, change a little direction, change a few things in your life that might not get you to the end of the road and stuff like that. But if it does get you to the end of the road, you can at least say that, you know, somebody told you so. You know, because I, you know, I was in there, I'm like, nobody told me this. And I would blame myself and stuff like that. And that's not the way to be living, stuff like that, you know. So I just, you know, get in the education, stuff like that. I knew that, you know, I, that was my purpose. And the only way for me to reach those goals was to continue my higher education and talking to those mentors, talking to those individuals, and just accepting the help that was in front of me it was very crucial for me to really understand and realize that higher education was going to be the key for me to have the life that I wanted to, to live and have without having to look over my shoulder and just risking my freedom on a daily basis. And, and then earlier this year, there was a newspaper article on uh, an incident that happened at UC Santa Barbara where they rejected formerly incarcerated students. Can you guys discuss that a little bit and what happened? Yeah, um, it's 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 a little it's a sticky situation. Um, that's the best way that I can really put it. It's a, it's a very sticky situation. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it's a miscommunication. It was it's just been a miscommunication at the end. The best way I can put it is that the UC system, especially UCSB system of the graduate application is outdated. And there's certain things that were supposed to be sent out, like uh, certain letters of recommend recommendation, reminders to certain professors of that that weren't sent out and stuff like that. So it was a big old miscommunication that at the end of the day, certain individuals weren't uh, accepted. And Without saying, I guess, you know, too much, it's, it just, it was a big miscommunication between just the departments, the UC system itself, and just, the, you know, the students that were applying and stuff like that, as uh, apparently towards the end, there was some misplaced paperwork by the UC system, and then there was some misplaced uh, emails uh, by the letters of recommendation that were supposed to be sent out. So it was just all this sticky situation to the point that by the time everything was kind of figured out, it was kind of too late. So the way the chain of events were happening at that moment, there was no other way to kind of see it as re a way of retaliation of 
and then basically the the she's she's actually not here no more that she kind of um she kind of retired and stuff like that but when we asked her what was the main reason of none of the graduate students uh none of the students basically being accepted to the graduate department uh her reason was basically the way she kind of put it was i'm leaving anyway so i can care less and that's the way she put it and we were like well at that point there was there was nothing that we could do or say as it was already a done choice but obviously you know they did get accepted to other departments but just the way the chain of events were happening at the time that it just seemed that it was just too of a coincidence not to tie it all in together and be like this is a form of retaliation to basically co-op the program and stuff like that but luckily you know some of our programs you know some of our members stayed uh, melissa was able to kind of step into that director's position role so then basically everything kind of just played out in, in its way also with that and uh the department kind of came back and, and did apologize and we did apologize back to them and we're just uh, a big old sticky situation misunderstanding and stuff like that and um at the end of the day it was just due to just the outdated system that the UCSB is still using to for the graduate application programs and stuff like that and for the certain departments because every department works on a, on a different level and stuff like that so each one needs to kind of update their their system which means you know it's been it hasn't really been updated since like 1980 or something like that that's been really outdated but that was a little sticky situation well we're just about out of time but i uh, i was hoping you guys could both briefly just uh convey a message to the broader community about how they should view you know formerly incarcerated students and the program in particular yeah, um, just, you know, first of all, foremost, uh, not a lot of these individuals know that their system impacted themselves. And what that means is just, you know, either having a friend, family, loved one that's been incarcerated themselves, and they know what that pain is, you know, which means that their system impacted themselves. And not many of these individuals realize that. So just realizing that and knowing that, you know, it's okay to accept that and then basically that, you know, this, you know, there's programs on our level at the UC level here to provide those resources and assistance for this population. It's, it's vital for this community to understand that um, there are programs out there and there are assistance out here for these individuals to help out. Melissa? Um, I think it's so easy for um, society to put this, this, this ideal, this idea of what they think formerly incarcerated and system impacted um, students and the, it's a formerly incarcerated community it is, right? I mean, we think of formerly incarcerated and I feel like a lot of times it's looked at such a negative, you know, in a negative light, but the, but the key word there is formerly, formerly incarcerated. We're no longer behind those bars. We're out here trying to survive and trying to thrive in a society that everybody else is day to day. And um, especially for the formerly incarcerated system impacted student population, um, we need to be we need to be respected in these spaces just as much as everybody else, just as much as all of these other students are, because we also have, if anything, we've come from a background of of struggles that a lot of people just that don't understand. And um, 
and we can add so much more value to these spaces, you know, like, like a university, you know, I know, like, being a sociology major, I'm able to bring a piece of my background and my history to my classes and share my stories and, and, and I'm, I need to be understood, you know, and, and I feel like, um, having a program like uh, underground scholars gives us students that come from that population the opportunity to share our stories in a safe place and to also show other people that getting a higher education it doesn't have to be so restrictive we are we do have this opportunity you know we we can add so much and so much to these spaces and we can um, achieve all the great things that everybody else is achieving and we don't have to be limited by our past um, and you know as a matter of fact I feel like my past has only given me a lot more power to be able to grow in these spaces um, so I encourage you know whoever is out there and you're thinking about um, pursuing an education and you're just not sure if you're able to because because of your record because you've done a, B, and C, you know, that's bring that experience to your education, you know, and, and uh, use that as a way that you can help other people. Um, so if you have questions, reach out to us. We want to learn more about underground scholars. Please email us, um, underground scholars um, at Gmail. And, or you can email me, Melissa Ortiz at ucsb.edu, uh, and I'd be more than happy to set up a meeting, answer questions. Um, you know, we would love to continue to grow this population, continue to expand this program here and, and work with the community as well, um, because I firmly believe that getting an education is the key. Thank you so much guys for coming on and, and sharing your stories. These are so powerful stories and they're powerful illustrations that people can turn their lives around um, through education and perseverance and hard work. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.